Good evening. It's good always to gather at the close of the Lord's Day and spend another hour worshiping God and offering up our prayers to Him and our petitions, sharing a message from His Holy Word. If you're visiting tonight, thank you for being here. We always love visitors and usually always have visitors with us, and we hope that you'll see fit to come back and be with us again very soon. If you've heard many of my lessons, you've heard me say, this lesson is for me. Well, I would submit for our thinking that most of us who do prepare lessons or present lessons from time to time, those lessons are for us. You are just kind of innocent bystanders. But tonight, this lesson I've entitled, Let's Be Real, in 2018. I've just put 2018 on there because that's just the year that we're in. We just started a new year. But it, this really, this lesson is applicable any year. And hopefully tonight you'll, you'll gain some insight. I'll tell you on the, from the outset, there's nothing new going to be revealed tonight. And I hope that you realize that that's good and you appreciate that. We're going to be looking at God's Word. You know, just over a month ago, we closed the page on 2017 and ushered in a new year, 2018. You know, we all like the idea of new, don't we? The idea of a fresh start as we turn the page on a calendar year. The fresh start, the idea of that that comes with that new year. I think all of us have a renewed hope and we formulate plans for the new year. As Christians, we, all, we know that we are to perpetually, I believe that the Bible tells us this, we are to perpetually examine ourselves and look for ways to be more effective in living our lives for God. With this in mind, I want to use an acrostic, the word real, R-E-A-L, tonight, to encourage myself and you by association to be real in 2018. The way an acrostic works is we're going to take each letter of that word real and there'll be a point for each letter that's there in your outline. If you want to take that and fill in the blanks there, you're encouraged to do that. So let's be real in 2018. Point number one, the R, let's be revived. Let's be revived. I don't know about you, but in my life as a Christian, I often go through spiritual slumps. Oftentimes in our lives as Christians, we hit a plateau. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we're, we're progressing along for a while, and we grow, 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 and all of a sudden something happens, we kind of flatten out. You know, it's been said, and I think this is applicable to really anything, but I think in the context of our Christian lives, it's particularly applicable. If you're not moving forward or upward, you're moving backward. And I'm afraid sometimes in our lives as Christians, we often find ourselves not moving forward. We're kind of stagnant. And again, this is for me, but you're welcome to make the application if it's applicable to you. Remaining strong in our faith is a lifelong pursuit. A lifelong pursuit. You know, Brother Barry, last week in his message last Sunday night, talked about how the Christian life is like a marathon. It's not a sprint. 
and you folks who are familiar with running, I'm not. If you ever see me running, you better run too because something's chasing me. <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a marathon. It, it's an endurance race, isn't it? And those of you, I know Jeff and others have run marathons before. It's an endurance race. You don't just start off at full speed because you're going to burn out quickly. You're going to lose your energy. But it's an it's a endurance thing. Jesus told the church at Ephesus, this is recorded in Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. We won't take the time to read all of that, but he said you, there's a lot of good things you've done. But he said, this I've got against you. You have abandoned or left the love that you had at first. They had hit a plateau and started going backwards in their Christianity, in their love for the truth, in their love for Christ in their service to him, all those sorts of things, they had hit a slump. They needed to be revived. You know, I think oftentimes in our lives as Christians, we need to be revived, don't we? The picture there is of a, you recognize that as an EKG or a heart monitor. You know, oftentimes that, that blip, that means you're alive. Going up and down, up and down. Well, if it ever flatlines, what does that mean? That's not good news. So in our lives as Christians, oftentimes we need to be revived. You know, in, in the medical field, we can oftentimes revive people when their heart stops beating. We've got, a, thankfully, an AED machine out here in the foyer that if anybody's heart stops beating, hopefully we can use that and revive you. I think you know the concept. But in our lives as Christians, oftentimes we need to be revived. Revival often requires a few things of us. I think number one, revival often requires remembrance. Remembrance of our life before we became Christians. The lost state that we were in as humans in this world. You know, there's a song that we, that we sing oftentimes. I, I like it. I didn't have Don sing it tonight, but I do appreciate the ones he did sing. Revive us again and oh, to be like thee because they fit. I believe, with our lesson tonight. But there's one called Remind Me. It said, one of the lines says, Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. We as Christians oftentimes in the spirit of revival need to remember where Christ brought us from and where we could have been in that lost state. Revival often requires remembrance. It often requires repentance. Turn your Bibles in the Old Testament book of Psalm, chapter 51. You remember David, the great king of Israel. Started out his life as a shepherd boy. And you know how God chose him to be the king of Israel to succeed Saul. Well, there was a time, a dark time in David's life, where he committed some grievous sins. And... You know the results of those. The sin with Bathsheba and the subsequent killing of her husband Uriah and all those kind of things. Well, we'll talk more in a moment about how David recognized that sin. It was brought, hit him right between the eyes as oftentimes sin does. He would go on to write in Psalm 51. And I like to use this psalm or read this psalm oftentimes when... I need repentance. When I 
find myself in conflict with God's word by either my thoughts or my actions or, or some way where I need to change and I need repentance. Psalm 51 verse number 12 is, is the, the entire psalm is a psalm of David when he, I don't know how long it, it was since he, was, he recognized his sin and all those things with Bathsheba and repented of those things, but here he pleads for God. We won't read the entire chapter, but I want to point out verse number 12. Inspired writer there says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. You, Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die? I'm not even in Psalm, sorry. I'm in Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament. I knew it didn't look familiar. <clears throat> Bear with me. Psalm 51. Verse number 12, David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. David was pleading with God to restore. That had been lost. That had, he, he had lost focus on his relationship with God. Sin had blinded him, had taken him away, and that's the nature of sin, isn't it? So we oftentimes need repentance. You know something else that I, I thought of when I read that passage? When we have joy over our salvation, we want everybody to know about it, don't we? Let's have, in this spirit of revival, or this exhortation to be revived, let's have joy over our salvation. So much so that it's bubbling over, it's abounding in our lives that we want to tell everybody about it because it's that important and it's that much needed. So revival oftentimes requires remembrance, repentance. Thirdly, I believe revival requires a return to Christ. You know, in this world, we, we have so many things vying for our priorities, don't we? We have so many things pulling on us. We have so many things trying to pull us away. Oftentimes we lose our focus on godly living, on being a Christian. You know, something that, that we need to understand, and I know you do understand it, but it's important, I think, that we remember it from time to time, that being a Christian is a full-time thing. Being a Christian is not just something you do when it's convenient. Being a Christian is not just something you do three times a week when you're here in this building. I need to be reminded of that. And maybe you do as well. Christian is something that we are. It's not something that we do. So we need to be revived. You know something, talking about slumps. Those of you who are interested in athletics, you know oftentimes athletes find themselves in a slump, don't they? Batters oftentimes find themselves in a slump. They just can't they just can't perform like they ought to, like they know they can. I used to watch a lot of golf, you know, the, and a lot of times golfers get in a slump. What do they do when that happens? Do they just keep on in that slump? No. They do something about it. They take action. 
Most of the time, the action they take is they get back to the basics. I remember a time back when I used to watch a lot more golf than I do now. Tiger Woods was the top of, the, top of his game. Well, there was a time he went through a slump with his game. This was back before his back surgery and all that kind of stuff. I read where he went to a – he changed up his swing coach, and he went and totally – remanufactured his swing. He had someone just to break it down into its various pieces and parts and rebuild it. Well, transfer that over to our lives as Christians. We got to get back to the fundamentals of daily Christian living if we have a desire to be revived, to get out of that slump, to start growing in the right direction again. What am I talking about the basics? I believe it would be Bible study. I believe it would be prayer. We need worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and private worship when nobody else is watching, just me, me and God. We need to be with Christian friends. And we need to serve others. I believe all those things, those fundamentals, if you will, will help us to get out of that slump. Help us get back on the right track. Be revived once again. You know, when I stop doing those things that I just cataloged for you as being fundamental to our Christian daily living, when I stop doing those things, the devil plants all kinds of junk in my mind. Because he doesn't want me to be growing as a Christian. He wants me to be in a decline. He wants me to be in a slump. He wants me to think that there's no reason that I should be trying to revive myself. But let's be revived in 2018. Point number two in our lesson tonight, let's be encouraged. I appreciate Brother Bill's great lesson this morning on encouragement. I think it dovetails well into what we want to talk about here in this point tonight. Sometimes we as Christians grow weary in well-doing, and we need encouragement, don't we? You know, the world beats us down. The world wants to defeat us because Satan rules the world. It's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? You know, we try to tell our kids that they need to cultivate friendships within their, the church fam their church family because they can be encouraged by them because they're all on the same page. We all believe the same thing and trying to live the same way. But oftentimes our brothers and sisters in Christ are some of our the some of the greatest discouragement we have too. But I believe we need to be encouraged and we need to use every opportunity that we can to be encouraged. You remember back in the Old Testament, we've been studying about Elijah on Sunday mornings in our adult class here in the auditorium. Turn your Bibles first to First Kings chapter 19. There was a time when Elijah should have been on top of the world, so to speak, in our way of talking or speaking. But he was very discouraged. You remember how he challenged the prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel to a contest. He subsequently defeated them. You know the story. 
he wound up killing all the prophets of Baal. He he had stood on God's side, and God had made him victorious in that contest. He should have been on top of the world, but yet he wasn't. Look at verse number 1, 1 Kings 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came to sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He was pretty discouraged, wasn't he? He was pretty low. God came to him and told him to be encouraged. Look at verse number 18. 1 Kings 19, 18. God speaking to him, he says, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, you're not alone. There's, there's 7,000 that I've reserved that are on my side. God tells Elijah that he needs to be encouraged because he's not alone. Let's look at 1 Kings 21. You'll see a progression, a change in Elijah's life here. 1 Kings 21, verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And, have you, and you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to, the e to evil, to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was one like, no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. We see a, a different Elijah there, I believe, from where we saw him asking God to take his life a renewed, a revived, one that trusted in God, one who was willing to take the message of God to the king. We see Elijah who's no longer fearful, pronouncing God's judgment 
on Ahab and Jezebel. He no longer is discouraged because he trusts in God. In the context of being encouraged, I believe we need to renew our faith. We need to restore our love. We need to get busy serving the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Paul tells the young preacher Timothy, he says, God gave us a spirit, gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power. That's God's power, isn't it? It's not our power. We've got the spirit of God's power. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, one of my favorite verses concerning the need to be encouraged in our lives as Christians. In context there, because God has given us the victory through Jesus Christ, verse 58, we should be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10, Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up or faint. Again, the Christian life is like a marathon. God intends us for us to finish the race, not to quit in the middle of the race because we are discouraged. You know, something about discouragement, it's cousins, doubt, and fear have the ability to cripple us, don't they? They have the ability to cripple us. These things are from the devil, and he uses them very effectively against us. We need to be warned about that. We need to be cautious about that. We need to be living lives of encouragement. Let's be encouraged in 2018. So if we're going to be real, we need to be revived. We need to be encouraged. Point number three tonight, we need to be authentic. Authentic. Not a word that, that we oftentimes use a lot, I think, in our, in our vocabulary. I looked it up in the dictionary. It's defined as having an undisputed origin. It also used the word genuine. I think of the word transparent when I think of being authentic. In, in my life as a Christian, I need to be authentic. I need to be genuine. I need to be authentic with my own self. I need to be authentic with God. God already knows me anyway, so I can't, there's no need me trying to trick him or to make myself out to be something I'm not. We need to be authentic with others. What does that mean? What does it mean to be authentic with others? We need to build real relationships with our fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ. As I've said before, and I'll continue to say it because I believe it, Christianity is a relationship religion. We are not here by ourselves. We are here to help one another. You know, Jesus came and ministered to broken people. He didn't come to minister to those who were well, that had everything, that didn't had no need of God or anything associated with God. You know, it's been said that our church 
is not a sanctuary for the saved. It's a hospital for the hurting. Well, oftentimes we all hurt, don't we? We have challenges in our lives. We can help one another with those things if we're authentic. But you know, again, speaking for myself, oftentimes I may be struggling with something. I come in here and shake hands with everybody, smile, hi, how are you? Failing to be transparent with people. Fail, and I'm not talking about we're going, we go around trying to seek pity and all that kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about we have a relationship with one another to where you recognize when something's wrong with me. When I recognize something's wrong with you, something's just not right. What are you struggling with? What can I help you with? I think that's the kind of attitude that we will, if we employ in our Christian life, in our church as a whole, we'll grow. We'll continue to grow. Because there are people out there in this world who need people. They need the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And they need to hear the gospel. They need to be part of this church family. We talk about all the time the benefits and how wonderful it is to be part of this church family. And it is. Praise God. Thank God. Continue to be those things. But let's be more authentic as we have opportunity. Build real relationships. We made mention earlier of David. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. <clears throat> you remember he had a friend by the name of Nathan. And we alluded to a moment ago about David's sin with Bathsheba. But it took a friend, I believe, to point that out to David, to bring it home to him. To point out his need for repentance. You know the story. How Nathan comes to him, gives him tells him this story about a man who had one little lamb. His pet lamb. And how... Another came and took it and killed it. And you can just imagine when David is contemplating that, the ideas that are going through his mind, the rage that's building in his mind, how, how someone would do something like that to somebody else, how they would transgress that other person's rights and all those things and be that mean and cruel. What did Nathan say to him? You're that man. You are the man. You know something? He had to have a... Nathan had to have a relationship with David to be able to say that, I believe. David was the king. And if there hadn't have been a close relationship there, a friendship, a companionship... The, the outcome could have been a lot different, I believe. Nathan was more of a, than a prophet of God. He was a friend. It was Nathan's knowledge of his friend David that equipped him to confront him, David, with great wisdom. Nathan was the best friend David ever had. Why? Because he helped turn his heart 
back to God. You know, the wise man said, this is recorded in, in Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 6, that the, wis- the faithful wounds of a friend are a whole lot better than the deceitful nature of enemies. Faithful wounds of a friend. When we confront a friend or a friend confronts us with something that's amiss in our lives, It's a wonderful thing because it's coming from somebody who you know loves you. Someone who's not an enemy. Someone who's not trying to do you harm. Someone who knows your life and your goals and all those things. And again, if their relationship, Nathan and David, had, been, had not been strong, the outcome may have been much different. You know, in context of being authentic, I guess the contrast to authenticity... Social media. Social media, I've observed, is the opposite. The antithesis, and antithesis, I knew I'd mess that word up, of authenticity, isn't it? Reality TV is the opposite of reality. Do you know something in our world today, in our country, over 67% of all TV watched is quote-unquote reality TV. Over two-thirds. I did a little Google search on that. Teenage girls, and I'm not picking on teenage girls. I've had one. Teenage girls aged 12 to 17 say three out of four of their favorite shows to watch on television are reality shows. Since reality TV has been a, in our world, we've seen a great increase in eating disorders, a great increase in cosmetic surgery, and all those things. I would submit, for our thinking, probably low self-esteem on the part of many of the people who watch those shows. So in our, in our quest to be authentic, we need to remember those things. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. You know the passage. Talking about what we've just been talking about here in context of helping our friends, having friends that we can help. James 5 verse 16. Confess your trespasses one to another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He talks about Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Verse 18, and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Verse 19, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he tur- whoever turns the sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 8. It says, Bear each other's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. He's talking about there, the word burden is something that, it's a load that you can't bear by yourself. Think of a great weight, something you can't carry by yourself. You need help with that. 
There are times when I'm up and you're down. We have a reciprocal relationship. We, help, we encourage and help each other. I think of a married couple. They're not always, each one of them is not always going to be up. One of them may be up and the other one down. And they work together and pick each other up and encourage one another during those times of difficulty. You know, something else I've observed about authenticity. Authenticity eliminates hypocrisy. Think about that for a moment. Authenticity eliminates hypocrisy. You've heard it said, I've heard it said, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. Well, I oftentimes think when I hear somebody say that, are you going to be in hell with them? Are you going to let them keep you from doing what's right? If you observe that they're a hypocrite, I think oftentimes people use that as an excuse not to do what they know they should do. Because, well, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, I think we can dispel hypocrisy with authenticity. Must be authentic in 2018. Point number four in our lesson as we move along quickly. Must look like Jesus. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that we're made in the image and likeness of God. Galatians 3 and verse 27 says, If you were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. Galatians 2 and 20, It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Ephesians 2 and verse number 10, We are His workmanship created in Christ for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 John 2 and verse number 6, the inspired writer John there says, Whoever says he abides in him, talking about Jesus, must walk in the same way in which he walked. I'm afraid sometimes that I don't look like Jesus to those I come in contact with. You know, looking like Jesus should be the goal or the desire of every Christian. You know, something that should encourage us to know that God has the same desire for us. God equips us to be successful in looking like Jesus. If we let Him, God will work in our lives and we'll be more Christ-like. Philippians 1 and verse number 6. But the process, and I call it a process because it's, it's a process. It's a maturity process. We're not, when we've come up out of the water grave of baptism, we don't know everything there is to know. We don't know how to live like we are supposed to live and all those things. We mature over time. We become stronger. We become more knowledgeable. We become more like Christ each day that we live if we focus on that. God will help us with that. The process demands our willing cooperation. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work through the Word is how that, that works. Becoming more like Christ requires both divine power and the fulfillment of our own human responsibility. Looking like Jesus, again, should be the goal that we have. Many nights when I say my last prayer of the day, and I'm not saying this to build myself up or anything like that. I ask God to help me to be more Christ-like. 
Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion. This is my constant longing and prayer. You know, we oftentimes need more compassion in our lives, don't we? We need more care, more concern. This world hardens us, doesn't it? And we need to be more like Jesus. And we, I think also, and this is kind of a play on words, when we look like Jesus to those that, that are looking at us, well, when we look out, when we look at the world and things, we need to look and see things the way Jesus sees things. We need to look at God like Jesus did. Remember in the garden in, there recorded in John chapter 17 on the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he was praying in, in blood and, t- and sweat drops like blood. Praying to God. He recognized that God was all-powerful. He recognized that God, it was God's will that he was in that place. And in his prayer, you've got to appreciate and, and love not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus looked at God the way God needs to be looked at. We need to look at others like Jesus looks at others. You remember Jesus there early in his earthly ministry. This is recorded in Mark chapter 1. A leper comes to him. Verse 41 of that, of that chapter says, Jesus had compassion on him. And you notice, if you want to go back in a fun study sometime, go back in your private study in the Gospels. And every time that Jesus had compassion on somebody, he did something. He did something. He made the situation better because of his compassion. And we know he was the Son of God. He could perform miracles and those sorts of things. But I would submit for our thinking, we oftentimes can help alleviate somebody else's situation if we're willing to be compassionate. We must continue to look at others like Jesus did. You know, the great example that Jesus gave his disciples recorded there in John chapter 13 of washing their feet. He taught them a lesson. He wasn't doing it necessarily, I don't believe, because their feet were dirty, but they probably were. But he was trying to teach them a lesson and us by those because we read those things. We must continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Peter admonishes us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Let's look like Jesus in 2018. As we kind of draw this to a close, and I appreciate your patience, 2018 is a new year. We like the concept of new, don't we? Let's begin this new year with renewed hope, renewed desire to live for God, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world in which we live. Let's start by being real in 2018. And again, this lesson is for me, but you're welcome to take any application from it, apply it in your life, so that you can be real in 2018 and beyond. The lesson is yours. Tonight, if you're here not a Christian, I can think of no opportunity that's better. It may be your last opportunity. We hope not, but we don't know. We're not promised tomorrow. To make your life right with with God, begin that Christian walk. Do those things. Set your feet on that path that we just, all the wonderful things that we just talked about we can do in this life. Be an example, be an influence as Christians in this world. Would you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? 
Based on that belief, would you be willing to confess the wonderful name of Christ before this group? Would you be willing to repent? That means to change. Just like David, when he was confronted with his sin, he sought repentance from God. Changed his mind about that sinful activity. Turned his back on, those, on that way of living. Be baptized in water, meeting the cleansing blood that washes away your sin. Rising to walk in newness of life. Be faithful unto death. Jesus said, I will give you a crown of life. He will give you an abundant life now and an abundant life for all eternity if you'll just follow Him. As a Christian, you may be here. Maybe you've allowed sin to come into your life and take residence again. If that's public in nature, it needs to be repented of in that way. Tonight's a perfect opportunity to, again, be restored, be reconciled. That word, I love the word reconciled. It means make friends again. We can be friends again with God. If we're willing to confess those things, ask Him to forgive us, He's faithful and just to do exactly that. The invitation is yours. Would you come as we stand, as we sing?